scripture today is Matthew 14, 13 through 21. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, had compassion on them, and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted, and it is already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. Now those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name's Eric. I'm pastor here at Trinity. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I hope to get that chance to meet you and welcome you to our church. We've restarted an ongoing series through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, It's been a number of years that we've looked at different sections and chunks of the Gospel. We'll be looking at chapters 13 all the way through 20 uh, through the summer of this year. I'm calling this section, Jesus Unfiltered. Why? Because two main themes play out in this part of the story, in these chapters 13 through 20 in the Gospel of Matthew. On the one hand, Jesus starts being very clear about who He is. He becomes very direct about what He came to do. But at the same time, another theme happens side by side. People, including His own disciples, continue to misinterpret and misunderstand Jesus. So the question is, how can that be? How can it be that Jesus is just clearly laying out, this is who I am, with what he's saying, many of his miracles that he does, it's clear there's, there's some, something here that's beyond our understanding, but people continue to misunderstand and misinterpret him. Seeing him not for who he is, but who they think he is or who they want him to be instead of who he really is. Maybe an illustration will help help us to see what's going on here and how it actually applies to us and how we engage with Jesus on the pages of Scripture. Um, Often when you get an oil change, you go to one of those oil change places, right, and you pull in, and if you're like me, you know nothing about cars. I know like zero about cars, so I pull in, oil change, give me an oil change, and they come out all the time. They, they come and say, well, here's some other things we want to talk to you about, right? And usually, for me, they'll bring a filter, right? Have you had this experience? They bring a filter, and I don't even know if it's my filter, you know. It's all dirty, and there's like a leaf in there. I'm like, what's that leaf in there? Or did you just put that leaf in there? Like, it's really dirty. You should have this changed because it, it keeps clean and pure air from getting into the engine and all that, and it affects the way your car runs. Uh, And usually I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll take care of it myself because, you know, it's always cheaper to do yourself. I never end up doing it and, (laughs) you know, eventually just have them do it, but that's beside the point. So what they're doing there is they're taking out a filter and they're saying, look at this. Look how dirty this is. Look at what's not getting through. 
That affects the health of the engine and the performance of the engine. The same principle is true for our spiritual lives. It's important for us sometimes to take out the filter and ask ourselves, what's not getting through? What's not getting through? Am I keeping parts of Jesus from getting through into my life? And if you're not a Christian and you're exploring Jesus here, I'm so glad you're here. I would ask you to consider this. Um, Have you come to know Jesus as He really is? Or maybe the Jesus that you know in your mind is the Jesus that is coming to you through the filters of other people and maybe some of your own. There's a great quote here from a commentary by Michael Wilkins, who's a local scholar at Talbot. He said this in his commentary. We'll put it up on the screen for those at home. He said this, It's vitally important for us to develop a clear vision of Jesus. For many people, an understanding of Jesus is cluttered with fragmented or distorted images. We are often more familiar with the pieces of Jesus' image that our culture or denomination or church or fellowship group has excised for its own use than we are with the full biblical picture. So the hope that I have with this series is we would get more of the full biblical picture, the real Jesus, in through our filters, that we would know Him in His fullness. The story we just heard, the feeding of the 5,000, it's a pretty well-known story among all the miracles of Jesus. It actually has a very unique and a very important place among all the miracles in that it's the only miracle that appears in all four gospel accounts. Every single gospel writer thought when they were thinking through what has to make it into this story, they said, this one, it's got to get in there. Why? I think there are a lot of reasons why, but as we look at this story, there are two clear focuses in the story. And the thing is that neither are on the miracle itself, which is a crazy miracle, right? 5,000 people fed from just a few loaves and fish. It stretches our ability to believe that kind of thing actually happened. It's so outside anything we've ever experienced or think is possible. But did you notice in the story, as you look at it, There aren't any details of people going around going, well, how many fish did you get? Did you get fed? Well, look at all the leftovers here. Well, let's see if we could just keep eating and this this won't run out. You know, who's got a Ziploc bag? Let's just keep filling it so we can take the leftovers home. When you read the story, it's almost like the crowds didn't even notice that this miracle even happened. The focus of this story is on two things, not the miracle itself, but It's on what it shows us, who it shows us, who Jesus is. Who Jesus is for us, that breaks down all our categories, the filters that we tend to put Jesus into. And that's not it. There's another focus. Jesus could have done this miracle and feeding all by himself. Without his disciples, he could have said, if he could do this miracle, right, he could have said, boom, fish and bread, fish tacos, whatever, for everybody. But he didn't do that. He did that in some of his other healings, but here he did it through the disciples. So focus one is what Jesus can do for us. Focus two is what Jesus can do through us. So let's look at those two things together. The title of my message is 5 plus 2 equals 5,000, who Jesus is for us. In verse 13, it says, 
When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. Let's stop right there for a moment. What did Jesus hear about? Scholars are actually not in agreement what this is referring to. Two weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of the chapter where we talked about Herod, who was the ruler, governor over this area where Jesus was. He heard the report about Jesus, and he concluded, this must be John the Baptist who has risen from the dead, and he's coming out to get me or to prophesy against me. Then, right before this, in chapter 14, verses 3 through 12, there's a flashback. You know, when you watch a movie and it flashbacks in to a time previous, that's what's going on. It tells us how John the Baptist was killed by Herod. And then in verse 12, it says, John the Baptist's disciples came. They removed his corpse of John and went and reported it to Jesus. And then it says in verse 13 that we read, when he heard about it, he withdrew. So the question is, are we still in the flashback? Or did we flash forward before the flashback? Is this Jesus hearing about John's death? Or is it a resumption back to before the flashback where he heard about how Herod was now paying attention to him and he was on Herod's radar? Well, in a moment, I'm going to explain why I think it doesn't matter either way. It could be either, but I think probably the more natural way to see this is as a resumption. It's coming, it's ending the flashback, and Jesus realizes he's on the radar of King Herod. And he and his disciples are in a new type of danger. But either way, Jesus had just been rejected by his hometown, his own family. They had rejected him. They said, we don't believe you. He was thinking about the loss of John. Either way, he was thinking about it. It brought, brought it back. His cousin, his partner in ministry, had died, had been brutally killed. He's thinking of the growing threat to him and his followers. And Mark tells us in the Gospel of Mark, in addition to all this, he had sent out the disciples. They were just returning to him. And it says in Mark chapter 6, 31, the disciples were coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. So here what's happening, this was supposed to be a retreat for Jesus and his disciples, time alone. They were looking to pray, to rest, to grieve, to process all this. And Jesus was getting out of the boat to take his retreat, and he's, you know, maybe thinking, finally, time to rest and refresh. And he looks up, and verse 14 says, what does he see? Thousands of people, they're waiting for him. And they're saying, Jesus, we, we have need of you. Can you help us? Now, what would your response be <laughs> if this was you? If you were at a place where you were exhausted and grieving and fearful and you said, I need some time alone to process this, you know, I know what my response would be. Well, guys, can you, seriously, we, ju we just did some healings over, over here. Can you just come back in a few days? There's a lot going on with me. I need some me time. But Jesus, it says, had compassion on them and he ministered to them, healing them. It's the first thing we see that Jesus is for us. Jesus here is shown to be compassionate beyond our comprehension. Compassionate beyond our comprehension. I want that to sink in because this is not just a fringe part of who Jesus is. 
This is an essential part of his person and his character and his heart, one that is repeated over and over again in the Gospels. We'll put it up on the live stream in the, in the slides, but I want you all here to listen to this quote from B.B. Warfield, a well-known theologian who did a study on the person and work of Christ, and here's what he said. The emotion, he says, which we would naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to that Jesus whose life was a mission of mercy and whose ministry was marked, so marked by deeds of beneficence that was summed up in the memory of his followers as a going through the land and doing good is no doubt compassion. He says we would expect that to be his main emotion. And he says, in point of fact, this is the emotion most frequently attributed to him. Did you know that? Did you know that emotions are attributed to Jesus? Did you know that the emotion most frequently attributed to Jesus is this one right here, compassion. Here we get an inner glimpse into the emotional life of Jesus. And whenever we get that inner glimpse, this isn't just the only place. It happens over and over again. Most of the time when we are told what's going on in the deepest heart of Jesus in His emotional life, what's there? It's compassion. It's compassion. This is so important. We are not just told about what Jesus taught and what Jesus did. We are told what Jesus felt. And the word here, I think I may have taught you this word, kids, before in a previous message, I, I think. The word here is splunkna, splunknizomai. Splunkna is the guts and the intestines. This is where compassion happens, in the gut. Jesus' deepest heart, when confronted with human need and brokenness and people flocking to Him saying, I have need of you, Jesus, it's compassion. What does this mean? It means if you come to Jesus with your need, He is never irritated. It means He will never be busier with more important things. It means he will never be uncaring. It means he will never say this is a bad time. It means he will never say, I told you so. Why did you do that? What are you thinking? He will never say that. If you come to him with your need, no matter what the reason is for that need or what it is, he will meet you with compassion beyond comprehension. There's something else here that we learn about who Jesus is for us, not just compassion, but power. Jesus is powerful beyond our understanding. What Jesus can do, it doesn't fit into our normal human categories. There have been many attempts to try and filter out what happens here, this miracle, according to modern ideas of what is possible or maybe scientific. Some authors have said, well, maybe what really happened was a miracle of sharing, where the little boy that John tells us who had the loaves and the fish Everyone said, look at the boy who shared. Let's all share. Like we're hiding our stuff. And then everybody ate. But that just doesn't fit into the story at all. The whole point of this miracle, feeding thousands of people with five loaves and two fish, is the kind of miracle, it, it, it can't be reduced to a moral lesson or a fable. It's not something that can be explained as 
happening in some way and then later exaggerated and embellished. It is in all four Gospels, 5,000 people plus. That's just the men, including the women and children. 10,000 people were fed, and all they had to work with was five loaves and two fish. This miracle can't be understood by adding up human factors alone. Here's the point. There is a divine factor in the equation. If Jesus is who He says He is, the Son of God, if He is, then that factor changes the equation whenever Jesus is present. We often, when we look at our lives and our needs and the situations around us, we try to fit Jesus into the categories of what we think is possible. Jesus' power is beyond our understanding. That's what this story shows us. And the point of these miracles is how these two things, compassion beyond our comprehension, power beyond our understanding, come together in the person of Jesus. If you just have power alone, raw, miraculous power, well, that's frightening all by itself, just great power. It's unpredictable. Deep and heartfelt compassion alone, it's comforting. It's soothing, but if that's all there is, it's unable to change anything. But when you have compassion joined with power, if those two things are in one person, he can understand and he can feel and comfort our deepest needs no matter what they are, and we can trust that he is able to meet them. Then in this person, in ways we can't understand or comprehend fully, We can trust Him that He is sufficient enough for all of our needs. And I don't know about you, but for me, I tend to filter out the compassion of Jesus. Sometimes I have wrong ideas of how distant He is from what I'm feeling, that He can't feel it or identify with it. I have wrong ideas of His sovereignty, like He's just so strong and powerful and great. He can't possibly understand what I'm feeling right now, or even my own worthiness. I'm not worthy of the compassion of Jesus. I deserve to feel unworthy, to beat myself up. So I filter out Jesus' compassion. We filter out His power based on our limited understanding of what we see. This situation is hopeless. You look at the factors, you add it up, and you go, I don't see any hope here. I don't see any reason for hope here. And we filter Jesus out of the equation. But Jesus is full of pity, joined with power. That comes from the hymn written by Joseph Hart, Come Ye Sinners, which says, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, power. He is willing, compassionate, doubt no more. That is Jesus. And there's one thing here, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, there's one more thing to add to this in in this story. Jesus is compassionate beyond our comprehension, powerful beyond our understanding, and He is wise beyond our perception. If you have those three things, if those three things are true, His compassion, His power, and His wisdom, that even, even after all we've been through, personally through all this hard year plus, as we look around us in the world and we see need and division 
we look to Jesus and remember He is compassionate, powerful, and wise. We can trust He is at work even when we don't see it. This is who Jesus is for us. This miracle story, though, 5 plus 2 equals 5,000, is, is not focused on the miracle itself. It's focused, as, as I said, on the one who did the miracle, but that's not it. The thing that's unique compared to all the other miracles is how Jesus did this miracle. Jesus did it through his disciples, right? And so there's so much here for us to learn about what Jesus can do through us. Look at verse 15 again <clears throat> with me. In verse 15, it says, Evening came, the disciples approached him, right? They said, This place is deserted. It's already late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And I agree here. Um, not all commentators see this, but I agree. There's, I think we can detect a little bit of impatience uh, on the part of the disciples, maybe some exhaustion, maybe some frustration in the way they approach Jesus here. You see, they don't, they don't say, Lord, Rabbi. They often will address Jesus with great respect in that way, and He deserves that. They don't do any of that. This is an imperative. This is a command. Send them away. We're done. Are we done here, Jesus? There's nothing here to feed them. You know, we know from um, Mark, they had already been sent out, the disciples, on mission around Galilee. Jesus knew they were tired. They hadn't had anything to eat. They're like, what? we are hungry. We can't feed them. We have needs. So that's why they were retreating into the wilderness for rest. And now they have this massive crowd to deal with. And they just get straight to the point, Rabbi, they don't say, Lord, they don't say, Master. They just say, send these people away. And in verse 16, Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And in the original language, verse 16, the you is emphatic. Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And in verse 17, they say, we've only got five plus two. <laughs> are you kidding me? What are you talking about? Five loaves, two fish, that does not equal 5,000 plus. There's a new term <clears throat> that's been proposed to capture the feeling and the experience that many of us, I know for me, I identify with this term and this experience that we have had and that we are living in right now and feeling after such a hard year. And even after we've lived through all this pandemic life and things are starting to open up and we're thinking, <clears throat> maybe I, I should feel more joyful and energized and like ready to go, right? But I don't feel that. I feel still like stagnated, like wondering if I can hope in the future, a little bit of blah, maybe not fully depressed, but somewhere in the realm of just not feeling it, not looking forward to things. The word is languishing. It's a follow-up to an article that I mentioned in my Good Friday sermon. Uh, there was an article over a year ago that said, um, it was in the Harvard Business Review, said that feeling, you're feeling, everyone, is grief. And everyone said, oh, you're right. We're losing so much. It is grief. So this, another article has come out, I believe it was in the New York Times, it said, that feeling you're feeling is languishing. 
There are many words that we could use probably to describe it, but languishing is this sense of, I just don't have the energy. We're working from home still. We're figuring it out. Many of us have young kids and we're sleep deprived. We've survived the fears, the anxiety of the pandemic, all the political, cultural, racial tensions, cries, and division that seem to keep coming. And so most of us feel like, what do I have left to give? If it's anything that we feel like we have to give, it's just five plus two, just a little bit. The time, the energy, the heart, the desire we have, if we're honest, we're just feeling like many of us, just people can fend for themselves. I've got to make it through here myself. And there's something honest and true here about the disciples and their reaction. There are limits we do have. We're human beings. There are limits in the demands of the season of life we're in right now if we're students just trying to make it through to the end of the year, if we're parents of young kids just trying to get through the day, if we have physical conditions or health conditions, mental and emotional factors, these are all limits. And we say, what do I have to give to other people? And we hear Jesus tell us, love others, serve, bless, do good, sacrifice, lay down your life. And we look at, we ha- at what we have and we look at what the needs of others are. And it just seems like there's overwhelming need and there's underwhelming resources. There is big need and we have nothing to offer that will make a difference. And just like in this passage, whatever the need is in front of us, we say, Jesus, you could do it all right now. You have the power. You have the strength. Do it yourself. But just like in this passage, there are things in our lives that Jesus wants to do through us. He wants to do His work through us. We don't even understand all the reasons why, but He does. Now, I don't think we should blame the disciples in any way for their reactions here. They had no idea what Jesus would do. It was outside of anything they had ever thought of. They couldn't have been reasonably expected to do or say anything else. They saw what they had. They saw the need all around them. They knew their limits. They knew how drained and empty they felt, how little they had to offer. The best solution to them, the only solution to them, was send these people away and let them take care of themselves. They were being, we would say, right, very realistic, (laughs) very realistic. The worst thing of all, the disciples could have said, would have said, okay, Jesus, we don't get it. But we'll just try to, like, divide up the the bread into the tiniest little pieces and and the fish into the tiniest little pieces and try to feed all the thousands of people around them without acknowledging how inadequate that was. Those most out of touch with reality are those who believe they can carry out their calling from God in their own resources and their own capacity. So they were being realistic. Fish and bread, five loaves. It was just the size of a little roll, two fish. This was not just some food. This was the common meal of a peasant. Meager, meager resources. And they were not only just having these meager resources. Where were they? There's a point made here that they were in the Eremos, a remote and deserted place. Very much like the hills of Southern California. You know, just look out in the hills. 
And that's where they were, sitting on one of these hills in the grass. Very little shade. Nothing really grows there. Lack of resources. They look at themselves and they say, we don't have much. They look around and they say, we're in a desert. There's nothing. And Jesus says what? Bring it to me. Bring them to me. They were called just to give what they had. And in verse 18, Jesus says, bring them here to me. He took their limited, inadequate five plus two, what his disciples had. He looked up to heaven. He prayed a prayer of blessing. He broke the bread. He gave it to the disciples, and he gave it to them, and then they gave it to the crowds. And everyone had enough, and there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. They were being realistic, and when we're drained and when we see need all around us, even the needs of the people right in front of us that we're called to love and serve, I just have to be realistic. But this passage challenges us to ask, what is realistic? Is it just five plus two? The disciples were looking at the desert. They were looking at five plus two. They were looking at massive need. They were looking at their meager resources. That's reality. But they had missed something in the equation. Not just five plus two. It's five plus two brought to Jesus. And it was enough. That's reality. Jesus says, I see the math you're using, but you've left out one important variable. You've left me out of the equation. Five plus two plus one. Friends, we are missing the central reality in any situation that we're facing. Whatever it is that Jesus is calling you to do, the people he's calling you to serve, remember the central reality in that situation is Jesus himself. Don't count him out. Jesus called them to a task that was beyond them, and he gave them the grace to do it. That's the promise here. If Jesus asks us to do something, he will give us the grace to do it. In the early church, what we find is there have been the early church buildings that have been excavated. Uh, We'll put up a, a picture here for those on the live stream. One of the things we found, one of their favorite Pictures to draw and frescoes to create was a basket of five loaves and then two fish on either side. We see it in their churches. We see it on the walls as a reminder not to count out Jesus. Uh, For me, we have a CBR Bible reading plan. Uh, at the church. It's been something I've been reading and using in my own personal spiritual disciplines for probably about nine or ten years. And I realized this week, every year I get to read this story four times because it happens four times in the New Testament. And in the reading plan, we read the whole New Testament every year. And I found in my life, this story always comes at a timely place. When I am facing something where I'm like, I don't have enough. I am inadequate. What can I bring 
What do I have to give? And then the story of the five plus two will, will come to me. Often in those moments, it'll just be on the schedule, and I'll say, oh, yeah, I'm counting out Jesus. So for application, I recommend you read this story at least four times a year. <laughs> I would recommend that you print out one of these frescoes and, and, uh, and drawings of the five loaves and the two fish, put it out in front of you. The miracle uh, here that we don't see, one commentator said, is um, it's an invisible miracle in the story. Jesus is fully human, <clears throat> exhausted and tired and spent. He's dealing with his own grief and pain and fear. He needs time to be alone. Somehow, Jesus, in that state, is able to consider the needs of others and have compassion on them, right? Even as they're being inconsiderate and selfish. Jesus is like, I'm getting away. I'm going in a boat. I need time alone. And everyone shows up and says, Jesus, we're here. So you have to heal us. You have to teach us. You have to feed us. And in the perfection of Jesus' humanity, obedience, the perfection of who He is as our perfect Savior, He's able to look beyond His own needs and continue to serve the needs of those around Him. And friends, this story shows us Jesus, the compassionate one beyond our comprehension, the powerful one beyond our understanding, the wise one. Beyond what we can see, this Jesus, when we feel like all we have is five plus two, he says, bring it to him. And he will be enough, and he will give you enough. Let's go to him now. Let's ask him to do that in our lives. Please pray with me. Our Lord Jesus. I don't know, but I can guess that most people here, I know for myself, have at least one situation where we feel like it's just five plus two, Lord. We don't see how we can do it. We don't see how we can be faithful to give what seems that needs to be given to meet a need, to have compassion to serve and to love with hope and to keep going. So I pray you would meet us, remind us of your reality, and help us, Lord, as we sing this final closing song, as we reflect and pray, those here, those watching over the live stream, to bring it to you, to hear your voice as you say, bring it here to me. Lord, we bring it. May you take it, break it, and multiply it for your glory in order that you might meet the needs of those whom you love and called us to serve through us, even despite us in our weakness and our trembling and our inadequacies. We bring it to you. Take it and use it. We pray in your powerful name. Amen.